Hello all, welcome or welcome back to In Everything In Between. I'm your host, Mela. So today we're going to be interviewing my mom and she's here next to me and we're specifically getting her perspective on COVID-19 and COVID-19 specifically within medicine because she is a pediatrician. So do you want to explain just really quickly what your job as a pediatrician is like just so people know? Hi, Mela. I'm happy to join you today on your podcast. I feel honored to be here. Uh, my job as a pediatrician is to provide well care for children, you know, from birth through um, college age. Um, we provide um, guidance on healthy eating habits, exercise, um, make sure their growth is normal, um, development is normal. That's very important for kids in the formative years. Of course, we provide uh, immunizations and give guidance on that as well. Uh, we also see children when they're sick. Uh, kids get sick all the time. <laughs> so we see kids uh, when they're healthy and when they're sick. So we provide routine illnesses, uh, care for illnesses, colds, strep throat, uh, pneumonias, and then also when kids have injuries like concussions or um, sprains and things like that. Okay, so that was a brief overview of the life of a pediatrician. <laughs> so now the first question I want to ask you is, what is the science behind masking and why does it work? Uh, so of course, we learned a lot about masking during COVID-19. Um, really prior to that, the only time I would really mask as a doctor was probably in the OR when I was in medical school <laughs> or before I became a doctor officially. Um, so masking was something new uh, for me to learn about when COVID uh, became a pandemic. Uh, basically, you know, it prevents viral particles from uh, being released from the nose and mouth, uh, which, as we know now, is a major transmission mode for COVID. So um, the masks really helped um, minimize the spread of the COVID-19 virus. Um, it also does offer some protection from others when you wear a mask. Uh, the primary protection, though, is for you when you wear a mask not to spread those viral particles. Okay, and so you mentioned how it's really effective in preventing the spread of disease, specifically COVID, because it is a viral infection. So what were masking's effects on other viral inf infections like strep throat, for example? That's actually a very good question. Um, we, during the height of COVID, uh, were seeing very few illnesses um, in general uh, in terms of colds and strep. I would say those two especially. Um, and I think in part it was because people were isolating during the height of COVID. Schools were closed, daycares, things like that. Obviously, if you're not around a lot of people, there's going to be less transmission of viruses. Um, but also, even when kids did return to school or things started opening up, a lot of people uh, were masking, and that greatly limited the spread of colds. And we really did not see much strep at all uh, during masking. It was really quite phenomenal uh, how much of a decrease there was in terms of uh, respiratory infections um, and, and uh, throat infections like strep. Um, you know, even uh, ear, nose, and throat doctors were saying they didn't see as many kids for ear tubes, which is something they place when kids get a lot of ear infections. Um, and one of the reasons for that is kids weren't getting colds, and those usually are what lead to ear infections. So it had really a, um, 
profound effect on the number of patients we were seeing um, at the time of uh, during the height of COVID, I would say. And it's interesting you notice that because I noticed that in myself. I never got sick when I was wearing a mask. I literally cannot remember a single time when I got sick with anything besides COVID. And now that I'm not wearing a mask anymore because the pandemic has a lot less of an impact, I find myself getting sick a lot more often. So it's interesting that you say that. Okay, my next question is... What was the most noticeable effect of COVID on people? And this could be some stuff like their behavior or their mood, dialogue, the way they spoke to you, any of that. Um, I think at the beginning, when we really didn't know a lot about the virus, I think the biggest effect was that people were scared. They were fearful of the unknown. It was such a, you know, obviously a pandemic is worldwide. And so um, and we didn't know much about the virus at first. So I think there just was a lot of fear, really. I mean, people did not want to come into the office, you know, because they didn't want to be around other people. And it was very, very slow. And we had doctors not working some days um, because, A, people didn't want to come in. And B, there just weren't, like I said, illnesses going around. Um, so I think the biggest thing was... Um, uh, was fear, the reaction of fear and just the unknown of everything. The other thing I, I want to touch on is, um, well, it's more an after effect, I would say, of COVID was just the rise in mental health problems due to COVID and isolation, kids being out of the routine of being in school and things like that. So, um, you know, more so an after effect, maybe not as noticeable at the time, um, but in hindsight, limiting kids' exposure in school and their normal activities, I think, really had a dramatic effect on the state of mental health in this country. Can you touch more on the specifics of the mental health problems you saw that arose from COVID? Sure. I think, you know, at the time when the pandemic was, you know, at its full force, uh, it wasn't as noticeable. But then as things started returning to normal, um, I really did notice as a pediatrician much more concerns um, about anxiety and depression in um, in children, um, more so in teenagers, although now I'd say I see more anxiety in younger kids. And I still don't know if that's an after effect from COVID or not, um, but definitely uh, as kids started returning to school, and I think struggling with that return to school and getting back to, to a routine um, and just realizing how much kids lost um, during that time uh, socially, really, um, I think it really had a big impact on children's mental health. I wouldn't say it was all COVID. I, I think in general, I've been practicing for a while. I think overall, there's been an increase in uh, mental health issues in children, even pre-COVID, but it definitely became accentuated um, after the pandemic. And I feel like it was also noticeable in my own life and in my friend's life. Like, I was talking with my friends about how when we got back to school, it seemed like we all kind of developed some sort of social anxiety. And I feel like that just comes from not interacting with people every single day, especially because that's just a basic skill people have to have interacting with strangers. So when you lose that for months at a time, I mean, I probably didn't really interact with people at school for like four or five months until I started going in person to school, but it, I feel like it really did have a drastic effect on social anxiety in particular. Yeah, I think that's a very good observation, Mela. I think from me as a parent, not just as a pediatrician, 
you know, my observations of you children, my two children <laughs> during the pandemic was that I think it was just completely disruptive. Um, there was no routine, social isolation. I may have found you irritable <laughs> during the pandemic um, because it really was very limiting um, socially and, and, and not to mention the impact on education as well. Um, I also feel like even in younger children, uh, you know, kids who were one or two during the pandemic, um, they weren't going to the library for story time. They weren't going to daycare. Uh, they weren't hanging out with their little friends. Um, and I had a lot of parents um, voice their concerns about their development, their speech, their social interactions with uh, children. So even at a young age, I think it really had a big impact um, on on kids as well, and just in terms of their overall um, development. I really like how you brought up the point of young kids especially. I feel like we don't think that much about babies because we're like, oh, well, they can't really remember it. But it's the fact that it's the loss in their brain development. You know, that's the time when a lot of kids are learning how to socialize and learning their basic motor skills and just being introduced to words and forming Forming language, which is so important at that age, so the fact that they're basically cut off from that probably had a really great effect on their ability to process information. I think also an interesting side note in terms of mental health and during the time of COVID is that children who were already experiencing anxiety actually did enjoy being at home and doing online school. And so I've had patients tell me, oh, yeah, I like it. You know, I don't have to go into school and deal with, you know, kids and maybe bullying or feeling uncomfortable in social situations. So, I mean, there was kind of, I guess, one just interesting point in terms of kind of the opposite effect of what I was mostly experiencing. But so there were those small subset of children that um, really did better or felt better at home um, with their anxiety. That's interesting. I actually wouldn't have expected that because I kind of felt the exact opposite way, but it's interesting that you bring up this alternate perspective. The next question I want to ask is how have medicinal practices, and this could be the way that you interact with patients or procedures you have to follow, new rules that were created, how have those changed since COVID? I think the day-to-day -day practice may not necessarily be that different now. Um, although I do actually wear a mask still when I see sick patients because <laughs> I really don't want to get any illnesses right now, whether it's COVID or not. But, um, you know, that's just kind of a side thing. I, I, I would never consider, had considered wearing a mask when I saw sick patients before. Um, but having gone through COVID and been sick, maybe getting strep a couple times this year, um, I actually kind of have adopted the mask uh, when I do see sick patients. It makes me feel better anyway. When I have a child coughing in my face, maybe I won't get <laughs> as sick as I, I normally would. Um, so anyway, that's uh, just kind of a side note of something personally that has affected my practice of medicine. Um, I think another thing, too, is um, it really was... You know, colds, for for example, for ki kids get upper respiratory infections or colds all the time, and COVID can present exactly like a cold. And so, you know, now all of a sudden we have to think, well, is it just a cold that we've that I've seen for 20 years or so of practicing medicine, or is this COVID, which has obviously far more implications, um, maybe to that child and also to the family and greater community, the school and people they may be seeing, grandparents and so on. So um, it really made me sort of question what 
I was used to dealing with on a daily basis is, oh, it's just a cold. Well, you know what? Just a cold could be COVID and could have far greater implications. So I think that also changed my perspective as well, just dealing with such a a potentially dangerous virus. I think that's almost where people try to be optimistic about COVID. I mean, myself, like when I had COVID, I think I've had COVID like three times, even though I'm fully vaxxed and boosted. But when I had COVID, I would get symptoms that were exactly like a cold. And so I would almost like selfishly not want to get tested because then I could be like, oh, it's just a cold and trick myself into thinking that. So I think a lot of people, especially people who probably didn't have access to being educated about COVID, like I have this privilege of growing up with you because I can hear your perspective as a doctor and get direct opinions from an educated doctor. But people who don't have that connection maybe didn't know as much. And so I think that's an interesting point. The next question I have is, what are your experiences with anti-vax parents? Well, I could talk about this topic for a long time. (laughs) Um, Well, I would say as it pertains to COVID, since we kind of started talking about COVID um, during this podcast, um, I would say overall, I noticed it kind of after the COVID vaccine came out. I think people started equating the COVID vaccine with vaccines in general. And so all of a sudden people were saying, oh, I'm not getting that shot. And it wasn't the COVID shot. It was the flu shot or as a shot for meningitis. And these are patients that have been getting every vaccine up to that point. They've been getting the flu shot every year. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, no, I'm not doing that. And so it was frustrating uh, for me in terms of how people responded to other routine vaccines in the face of a newer vaccine coming out. Um, in general, the anti-vax movement, of course, is a very powerful movement. Um, there's a lot of information and misinformation uh, on social media about it. So overall, the anti-vax movement as a pediatrician is something um, that is very frustrating. Um, and just this mistrust of science and um, vaccinations in general, I think people were mistrustful of the COVID vaccine. And then that, like I said, translated into mistrust of other vaccines. Well, why do I have to get that? And they start questioning doctors about other vaccines. Yeah, I feel like the anti-vax movement kind of got a little more steam after the COVID vaccine came out and people were afraid of the COVID vaccine. Like, oh my gosh, it was approved so fast. And in general, there's this mistrust, like I said, of vaccines, mistrust of Dr. Fauci, um, mistrust of science. And um, I think it almost didn't even apply to just vaccines. It was just what medical advice I was giving, you know, like, oh, why do I have to stay home for 10 days or five days, you know, oh, or the COVID infection isn't serious to kids, they just get colds. And so it it kind of created, um, it wasn't just anti-vaxxers, it was just a general mistrust of science and really mistrust of the doctor in the room with you trying to explain to the parent the science behind it and the importance of following the science. And so there was a lot of um, backlash, hesitation, questioning of the doctor, um, doctors in general, uh, myself in particular, in my experiences, um, that made it really more difficult to deal with COVID at the time, too. I actually never considered, I mean, I didn't really think about how people started questioning other vaccines when they heard about the COVID vaccine. And I think another interesting point to add on to what you're saying 
as to how COVID's vaccine being approved so fast kind of fueled this existing movement. I think also just making the issue of COVID, making it political instead of just being science that everyone should believe in. And it almost reminds me of climate change, how climate change has almost become political and can sometimes represent what political party you belong to, which it shouldn't at all. And I think that was also fueled by Trump when he refused to get the vaccine, he refused to endorse it, which led to a wide or vast majority of his followers not believing in COVID because they didn't see someone who they idolized getting the vaccine. And so I feel like that's also definitely fuel for the fire and something I could also make a whole episode about. But specifically on this topic of anti-vax and this anti-vax movement that you've seen because of COVID, what effects do you think these anti-vax parents, what effects do you think their beliefs have on their children? Well, I think as a parent, obviously, they're deciding whether or not their child is getting the vaccine. So when you have a five-year-old, they don't really have much say. (laughs) But of course, as they get older and they hear parents saying, oh, we're not getting that vaccine or we're not getting that vaccine, in the child, they start echoing those same sentiments that the parent has voiced. So I think it does trickle down to the child. um, And so it can definitely influence that child's opinion about uh, vaccines. Um, But I have also had a child, not a lot, but it happened that a child really wanted the COVID vaccine. This is, of course, an older child or teenager, and the parent didn't want it, you know. And so, um, you know, that that not it didn't happen a lot, but it happened a few times. Or one parent would be for the COVID vaccine, and one parent would be against it. So, uh, it gets a little murky when it's when it happens like that. But um, generally, when I see kids, they're kind of going by what their parent is recommending, and then obviously that influences what thoughts they have about vaccines too. So. Based on your experiences, if you had the magical opportunity to lower the age requirement that children can choose to get vaccinated at, which is currently 18, would you lower it? Well, I I think, now that's a good question. I would say maybe 14, 15, 16, I think would be reasonable. You know, uh, we let 14 year olds make other decisions about health care in terms of, you know, uh, pregnancy prevention and things like that. So I kind of, you know, view vaccines as also a medical decision. And, you know, why couldn't a younger teenager make that decision for themselves too? Okay, my next question is, how has your passion for medicine changed, if it has at all, because of COVID? I think certainly COVID did create a lot of burnout with physicians. Um, and uh, it it was a very trying time because I think it, the biggest thing was just an unknown. Like, so for a condition that I would be like, Oh, it's just a cold. And then I'm like, Oh, well, it could be COVID. And when it first came out in the country, in this country, um, we didn't have testing supplies. We didn't really know much about the virus. And all of a sudden I was in a position where despite all my medical training and my experience as a pediatrician, all of a sudden, I'm like, um, I don't know what to tell this parent about their child's cold. <laughs> and so it really was very disconcerting to be in that position where all of a sudden, I just didn't feel comfortable giving medical advice. I couldn't tell them if their child had COVID or not, because we didn't have the testing at the time. So I think that created a lot of angst. Um, and it was um, it was a very difficult time 
uh, to be a doctor because we just, there was so much unknown, but yet people were coming to us for medical advice. And so I was in a position where normally I would feel comfortable giving medical advice. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I really don't know what, what to tell this parent or how to go about, you know, uh, advising against possible COVID. So, um, I think, um, it created a lot of burnout for me. I think, it, again, the stress of the unknown um, and even the fact of wearing a mask every day to the office for eight hours or seven hours a day for three years, you know, I got tired. <laughs> um, it was it was hard to do that, to ha- be in a room for 30 minutes talking to a patient about anxiety or depression and having to have the mask on. It was It was just physically draining, I would say um, day after day to be in that environment. You know, of course, you know, Mela's dad, my husband, uh, really kind of really had the brunt of the COVID pandemic in terms of being in the emergency room and really seeing the very, very sick patients with COVID. So I feel like what I went through probably pales in comparison to, uh, you know, emergency room physicians and similar, uh, physicians. Um, but from my, little perspective as a pediatrician. Um, it, it was uh, a difficult time and generally did create some burnout. It's much better now, but at the time it was it was pretty taxing. And I can only imagine how like nerve wracking and how, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but when you have to tell a patient, like you don't know what to say and it's like, you kind of just have to use your best judgment, but you really don't know. And it's that fear of the unknown. And I feel like that would really, I feel like that would make me super nervous if I was in your position, if I were a doctor. So I really applaud you and all doctors for getting through COVID and also just being able to go through that day by day, especially with people who are not making your job easy by not believing in COVID and not willing to follow your advice and your medical tips. (laughs) I think another challenge I found during the time was that every day something was changing about what we knew about the virus. And it literally felt like every day, you know, is it transmitted this way? Is it transmitted through touch? Does masking work? Uh, How long do people have to be in isolation? Um, And it literally was just day to day, just inundated with emails and, you know, uh, trying to keep up with, you know, all the the goings on with the virus. and just really trying to get my questions answered, you know, but there were no answers. So, uh, you know, so it was, it was hard because it was in a state of constant flux, um, what we knew about the virus. Um, and then of course, when the vaccine came out, there was a lot of questions and, uh, misinformation and, um, education and, uh, you know, just the knowledge of when, what age, get what's vaccine and what interval for the vaccine. And um, it was just a lot of information overload at times as, as new information came out. Um, it's funny because I was, this is probably a few months ago, I was going through an old file in my at my desk at work and I was looking at all these old COVID emails. And I mean, it was really funny, the perspective of, you know, what do we do? Do they have the patient come in the back door? Do we have all patients wait in their cars? And we were doing that, wait in their cars so they're not sitting in the waiting room. Um, What kind of personal protective equipment do you need to wear when you see a patient who might have COVID? So all those emails were just like flashbacks of of all the little intricacies that that maybe a lot of lay people don't think about 
But as a physician, we were kind of in the trenches of trying to learn uh, just just impromptu of how to handle this very mysterious, uh, serious virus. And I feel like that's similar to the way teachers didn't really know what to do either, especially when COVID first hit, we first had the two week quarantine. And I remember my teachers were saying like they're on, they were trying to figure out what to do. Like we didn't have a system set in place. And I think that's how it is with every unfamiliar thing. And this is so random, but it reminds me of the Handmaid's Tale, because in The Handmaid's Tale, they were talking about how the system of Gilead is relatively new, and so they're still working out all the different kinks to the program, but so it's kind of just reminds me of COVID, because I feel like we've really, like, the modern world has never experienced a pandemic this big or breakout of virus this large, so I feel like that's really interesting. The next question is... What is your perception of doctors who don't believe in COVID? Because I know you had some coworkers <laughs> who were, let's just say, uh, they should not have been part of the medicine world. <laughs> well, from my personal experience, I wouldn't say they didn't believe in COVID, but I think they were downplaying and, and are downplaying the effects of COVID and the seriousness of COVID. Um you know, they wanted to stop masking when we were still having pretty high numbers. And I mean, yes, they were tired of wearing the mask like I was, but I'm just was remembering thinking like, what, you know, why in the world would you stop masking when the virus is still so prevalent? And so I, that was very frustrating with me to, um, work with people who were on the fringe of what doctors, most doctors were believing and saying about COVID. So I, you know, I got to see kind of up close what their, what the minority's perspective in the medical community was about COVID. And it was really frustrating to me that uh, I was working with people who felt that way. Um, Also was the same way in terms of the vaccine. There are some doctors that still don't recommend the vaccine and Um, that's also very frustrating because, you know, I'm kind of of the belief if 99% of the medical community is saying this, you know, I'm going to go with the 99%. I'm not going to find that 1% outlier that says the COVID vaccine is dangerous or not important or whatever. Um, and so that was very frustrating to me because, uh, it sends mixed messages to the patient, not to mention that, you know, you're going against what the medical community who has a lot more knowledge about this than I do. So as I was saying, it, I think also patients were getting mixed messages about the COVID vaccine itself as well. Um, I remember talking to a patient that was not my normal patient that I would see, and we got around to talking about the COVID vaccine. I think the mother actually asked me, well, do you recommend it? And I said, yes. And she said, well, Dr. So-and-so is telling me not to get it. (laughs) And so it's like, you know, And I think I actually told the patient, well, if 99% of medical researchers and community and experts are saying to get it, I'm going to go with them. And I think I actually did tell her that. Um, And so, again, it was it was dealing with misinformation and just denial of of facts, not only from the public, but people that I work with. And I still find that frustrating to this day. You know, we are we have a responsibility as physicians to educate people based on medical facts. And uh, it's frustrating when you work with people who are not, you know, upholding their job as a physician. So um, it was, it was, um, 
it still is difficult when it comes up, doesn't come up as much, nearly as much now, but uh, sending mixed messages to patients is not, uh, not a good thing. And are the doctors who, I guess I shouldn't have said don't believe in COVID, but who are, like you said, on the fringe about it, would you say those doctors still have that same mindset today or have they started to recommend the vaccine to their patients? Well, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily say they have the same mindset about COVID just because obviously it's much less of an issue now. So it's really not in the forefront of our day-to-day, um, you know, medical practice like it was. Of course, we still think about COVID, but yes, those those physicians, I believe, still do not recommend the vaccine. So um, yes, um, I think also part of it is A, they never believed in it, and B, now we're dealing with the virus that's very uh, low levels in the community. So I'm guessing their thinking is, well, you know, chances are they're not going to get it. And if they get it, it'll be mild. So what's the big deal? But, you know, when I was discussing the COVID vaccine with people uh, when it came out or shortly after it came out, you know, I was telling parents, you don't want to be the parent of that child in the ICU that's there because they weren't vaccinated. And, you know, the Children's Hospital in Columbus would have data every week about number percent or number of kids hospitalized in the ICU and those what percent of those kids had been vaccinated and it very clearly showed that most the majority of the patients that were in the ICU were not vaccinated and so uh you know people feel like covid oh it's no big deal but really you don't want to be in that whatever percent small percent that it may be you don't want to be the parent of that child knowing you could have prevented something quite serious from happening from, you know, if you, if they had gotten vaccinated. If you had this lawmaking ability, would you make vaccines required for, I think, is it people who are five and older who can get the vaccine or is the age lower now? Oh, for COVID, six months. Uh, for six months, people who are six months and older, would you make it a requirement for school districts to have the students be vaccinated? I would say now, maybe not for COVID specifically. However, during the height of the pandemic, when we were trying to go back to school and not go back to online school, I absolutely would have required the vaccine. You know, now, like I said, we're not in the pandemic anymore. And so, I mean, yes, I believe it's a very important vaccine, but I think one tool that we did not use because of anti-vaxxers and because it became such a political thing was requiring people to get vaccinated um, during uh, during the pandemic itself. Um, that would have made everyone's adjustment going back to normal life much smoother and much quicker. And because of that hesitation for whatever reason um, or hesitations, uh, you know, it really, I think, prolonged the uh, presence of COVID in the community and really prolong the pandemic itself. So I think at the time, yes, I would have definitely mandated a vaccine, a COVID vaccine. I completely agree. And I, I'm i pretty sure I expressed my frustrations at the height of the pandemic when our school district wasn't requiring vaccines. And that that was the reason that we had to be online was because parents weren't making their kids mask up to school And when people did mask, they'd have it blow their noses half the time, which basically doesn't do anything. And it was just really frustrating how it felt like lawmakers were just ignoring how 
great of an impact COVID had on school, especially kids in general. I feel I feel really bad for people who are seniors in high school or who were just entering college because it's like half of their college experience, the most important year of their high school experience was basically ruined by COVID. And if only we could have had people vaccinated and made a requirement, I just feel like people could have had a sense of normalcy because there would have been much lower COVID rates. So that's just my own personal opinion on that. My last question or last couple questions I want to ask are, if you could take one lesson that you learned from COVID back to 2020 with you, what would it be? I don't know if it's necessarily a lesson, but I would say to know that there would be an end to the pandemic that's not going to go on forever. Because I remember during the height of the pandemic thinking, oh my God, is this how it's going to be? Like, I'm going to be practicing medicine like this for the rest of my medical career. And so it's not really a lesson, but I think, you know, if I had known, okay, the pandemic is going to end now and our life will go to normal, that would have been very reassuring to me. Because at the time, like a lot of people, we just didn't know like what's going to happen, you know, how long it's going to be, how long our lives are going to be disrupted. The other thing obviously is it, you know, if we had all that information about the virus at the time of the pandemic, it would have just been amazing. But obviously pandemic is with the novel virus is, uh, is a big unknown, but if that information, all that medical information we learned over the years, um, if that had been just magically available, it would have, uh, it would make our, all of our lives so much, would have made all of our lives so much better. I know. And for me personally, like, I also wish I could have known, like, the one thing I could have known is that it was going to be okay and the pandemic would be over. I remember I was getting so hopeful because they lifted the quarantine and people were starting, this was in the summer, I think it was the summer of 2021, uh yeah summer 2021 they had lifted a quarantine and COVID was getting better for a little while and so people were going out in public I literally I didn't wear a mask to Target for the first time in months and I was like oh life is finally getting back to normal and then it felt like every day was like one step forward and three steps back and we were just making like backwards progress because then it would be oh next week there's another outbreak and people are back to wearing masks and no one's going out in public and it's not safe to hang out with people anymore. So I also wish I could have known that because I was really, it was, I was afraid, but it wasn't more I was afraid. I just wanted things to go back to how they were. And I feel like it also made me not take life and normal life for granted anymore, especially with what's happening in Gaza right now. Just, it makes me appreciative for my safety and having a roof over my head. And that can all be connected back to the pandemic as well. Okay, now for my last question. What do you wish the general public and government could have understood about COVID from the start? Even though there were a lot of unknowns about COVID, um, I feel like people did not take it seriously. What we did know about it, people didn't believe in or they didn't take it seriously, um, tried to go about doing their normal routine um, without consideration that we're in a pandemic that is you know, involving a very contagious virus. And so I feel like there was a lot of, um, you know, public figures not acting appropriately and pretty much acting the opposite of how you should be acting during a pandemic. For example, you know, when Trump was president, I remember 
seeing his rallies briefly on TV, thousands of people, thousands of people in a closed, you know, coliseum or whatever stadium and, you know, yelling and shouting and screaming. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world are you people doing? You know, we have a pandemic. You guys are screaming and yelling. You're all in each other's faces. And that type of behavior that was just paraded on and on and on by public figures was so, I want to say disgusting, and then just just such a slap in the face of what every medical doctor was trying to educate people about. And so that was really frustrating um, to see that, um, not only as a doctor, but just as a person who was trying to live in the pandemic and get through it like everybody else and trying to get through it as quickly as we could. And so avoiding all these safety measures that had been determined to be important for COVID and just completely disregarding them was extremely frustrating. Yeah, I remember I would get so mad when I saw even people on social media just traveling. Like, why are you traveling right now during the pandemic? It's just, it was so selfish and it really just, it just spoke to me like I don't care about the well-being of other people because when you go travel, when you go to a Trump rally, you are exposing other people. You're putting other people in danger. And I feel like people didn't understand that if you are not following quarantine and COVID protocols and procedures, then you're inherently putting those around you at risk and you're just being selfish. And that really frustrated me because it felt like I was doing my part. I was wearing my mask. I got vaccinated. I stayed home and quarantined and people weren't doing that. And it felt like just the small, not small minority, but the minority people who weren't doing that were holding everyone else back. And that really frustrated me. I'd actually like to add on as well, um, because the governor, you know, closed the schools, yet the restaurants and bars were open. And I remember thinking at the time, like, hello, you know, (laughs) what is more important, keeping the restaurant and bars open or educating our children? And I realized it was partly an economic reason, but I felt like, you know, if you're going to do it, then you need to really be appropriate about it and respect the virus and close everything. You know, don't keep kids at home, have their education suffer, have them suffer mentally and emotionally, yet let adults go out and party and go out to restaurants. So that dichotomy was, again, really frustrating for me too. And on that note, that concludes this interview. This was really eye-opening for me, and I hope it was eye-opening for you guys listening, especially hearing the perspective from a doctor, because I feel like their voices often get overshadowed, even though they are the experts on this issue. So thank you, Mama, for joining Mm -hmm. me in this interview. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you. I enjoyed talking about it, actually. (laughs) And I'll see you guys next time.